Good morning. How is everyone doing? Good. Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1. It says, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, and has brought us the good news of your faith and love, and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. We're humbled to be adopted into your kingdom, to be your children. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving us our sins. There are many. God, thank you that you are holy, that you are truly holy. You are righteous, you are good, you are sovereign. Thank you that you're in control. Lord, we intercede for our brothers and sisters in Central America and Belize and the trials that they're going through. God, would you sustain them and keep them and have them persevere, Lord, with the afflictions that they're going through. We also pray the same for our brothers across this world who are being persecuted for their faith, God. May they stand firm and resolute. Strengthen them even now, Father. And Lord, let us hear from your word today the truth that you have for us. We thank you for your word, for your goodness towards us, your mercy, your grace. They are truly rich. Amen. In this passage today, I want uh, us to see a couple of things. And I want us to notice, and we're going to go through each one of them, that Paul mentions faith in these ten verses five times. And I want you to see five ways that our faith is working in us and working in others. Our faith makes a difference to others. Uh, it impacts them. And our faith is founded on truth. Now recently I heard a, a true story. Uh, it happened at a Christian university. The teacher um, comes into the classroom, asks the students, are you God? There's no takers. That's good. It's a Christian university. <laughs> so the teacher says, okay, good. She says, <clears throat> uh, you see, God knows truth. And she, she turns around on the whiteboard, and she writes, 
uh, a capital T. And then she goes on and says, we are not God, and we do not know truth with a capital T. All we know is truth with a lowercase t. And she writes a lowercase t on the whiteboard. Now, now what is she saying? She's saying something bad, actually. She's saying God knows the real, full, objective truth, but we humans just have our own subjective truth. And she is saying that what God has, we don't have. He and he alone has it, and he doesn't share it. And during this time, I mean, the kids are taking notes, and is this going to be on the test? And <clears throat> Now, how could a college student have responded to the foolishness of her statement? Uh, one apologist had some pretty good ideas. Uh, professor, that description that you just gave... Is that an accurate description of things? Well, of course it is. I wouldn't be teaching it otherwise. Okay, well, when I say accurate, I'm asking if it's actually true. Well, yeah, it's true. Well, now I need to know, is it a capital T truth or a lowercase t truth? Because if it's a capital T truth, well, you said only God knows that. And if it's a lowercase t truth, well, then that's great for you, but it doesn't mean I have to believe it. I mean, this is a Christian university teaching that truth is subjective. Honestly, a Christian university is one of the most dangerous places intellectually for a college student to be. Why? Because Christian students can let their guard down thinking that they're in a safe environment where everything they receive is accurate and true. I remember the same thing happened to me uh, when I got saved. I was at Mizzou and I had to keep my guard up and I knew that being at a secular university I had to filter everything. Everything. And I remember when I, when I went to seminary and I was looking at all the different options of seminaries I wanted to go to a place, <clears throat> I didn't really realize it fully at the time, but where I could let my guard down a little bit, knowing that whatever was coming to me, the vast majority, hopefully all of it, but the vast majority would be truth. Um, sadly, that's not the case in many Christian colleges. They have the name Christian, they claim the Christian title, uh, but it simply isn't true. Uh, my son has taken dual enrollment classes, at a, at a Christian college, uh, but he needs, and all students need to keep up their guard in this matter. Just having the title doesn't necessarily qualify a university to be a real Christian university. Just like people that we might know can claim the title Christian, that doesn't make them Christian, right? So, <clears throat> all of that to say is to Paul... When it comes to the truth, there, there is only one truth. It's a capital T, and, and God shares it with us. Uh, Paul can know the truth. He can explain the truth. He can preach the truth. And he realizes, though, that it is not his truth. It really is God's truth. And God doesn't keep his truth to himself. Here's the thing. Paul isn't concerned about his own opinion. Now, when people say... And maybe you've been told before, well, well, that's, that's your truth. Now, 
pause here for a second and realize they've made a substitution of words, which can, can confuse you if you don't catch it. And they've made that sentence hard to understand. Because when they're saying, well, that's your truth, really the proper word that they should be saying is, that's your opinion. That's your opinion. That's really what they're saying. They've changed the word truth and, and redefined it. That's the challenge when you try to have a conversation uh, with people, whether it's Mormons or Jehovah Witnesses or even atheists, they change definitions. It can sound like you're actually saying the same thing, but you're worlds apart. So, well, that's your opinion is what they should say. Um, by putting the word truth there, it just causes confusion um, to them, to you, to others. But opinion is the proper word. Uh, the thing with opinions is they can be true and they can be false. Their opinions. But when it comes to truth, truth is always truth, and all truth is God's truth. And Paul is concerned about the truth. Even so much, uh, look at Galatians, hold your finger in 1 Thessalonians, but look at Galatians for a moment. I want you to see this. Galatians chapter 1, in verse 6, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even, and look at this part, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. What is he saying? If I don't preach to you the truth, don't believe it. If I try to change it, I'm preaching falsehood. Don't believe it. If I change the story, don't believe it. So when we get back to 1 Thessalonians, Paul addresses in these first, in these first 10 verses of chapter 3, he, he addresses faith. It's not about his truth, or we would say his opinion. No, it's about truth, period. Truth matters, and what we're about to discuss is true. So I want to look at the five ways we see here in this passage that our faith is working in us and in others. First, notice that our faith is strengthened by others. We see this in verse 2. It says, And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker, and the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith. So Timothy here is sent to do what? To help the Thessalonians grow in their faith. And here's the thing for us, friends. Since our faith can be strengthened, we should put ourselves in positions for it to be strengthened. Put ourselves in in positions for it to be strengthened. Sometimes it's easy for us to think, well, you know, I got my faith, and, and this is where it's at, and, and nothing's going to change that. No, we don't have a static faith. We don't have a static faith. Our faith can grow, and it should grow. We want to put ourselves under biblical teaching, solid doctrine. That's why our life groups, I mean, literally the name of the book that we're going through with our life groups is sound doctrine. Why? Because truth matters. Truth matters. 
And we want the members here to be grounded in truth. We want them to know sound doctrine and to know false heresies. So to Paul, the truth matters. To us, the truth should matter. Um, there's, no, there's no Lone Ranger Christianity, friends. We need to be strengthened, and others God has put in our lives to help strengthen us. So we're putting ourselves under biblical teaching. We're consuming. I, I read this uh, article from a good Christian organization, and it was, it was counterbalancing you know, the, the two hours or so that, that you get at church each week, and then it was saying that there's about, if I remember the stats right, about 90 hours of information that we're getting from external sources the rest of the week. And the point was that the church really has an uphill battle in that regard. If there's two hours here and then 90 hours from other external sources, the point for us and the application is if, if, if that's accurate for us, we need to make sure whatever those external sources are coming in are good, legit, solid, and impacting us in a right way. Yeah, many of you know I was on a news fast for, for um, I think, over about 15 months or something like that. Okay? And then when you know, the virus hit, started the news, and, and I've just noticed more and more so the past couple days how that, that intake of news has been impacting me in a negative way, not a good way. There was a reason I, I went on that fast, <clears throat> and I, need, I definitely need to cut back. It's just, it just hasn't been helping me in my growth with the Lord. And so I think sometimes with different things, we need to take a look at those external sources that are coming in and figure out, hey, what, what is good, helpful, you know, kind of like what Paul says, think on the things above. What, what is pure, what is righteous, what is holy, what is good? And, and if some of those things aren't, we, we just got to cut them out. We got to cut them out. Because those things impact us. Think about that. 90 hours of external instruction that the average person is receiving. And then the church, you know, and you come here for, you know, for the service and you hear a 45-minute sermon and, and maybe you're part of the life group and, and you're discussing biblical things. That means those 90 hours or whatever it is for you, you got to choose carefully what that external instruction is that you're receiving. Be wise. So if our, strength, if our faith can be strengthened by others, actually the reverse is true, right? Our faith can be weakened by others. 1 Corinthians 15, it says, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Probably the clearest example I have of this was a young man that I worked with <clears throat> years and years ago. He ended up joining the military. And uh, when he came back on leave, he was talking to me, and I was shocked by the things this young man was confessing that he did. But he, but he actually wasn't confessing. All he was simply doing was relating his sins to me as if he was listing his daily activities of exercising and, and going out to eat somewhere and watching a movie. Uh, his gross immoral sin had become so commonplace to him that he didn't even think it was a big deal. Bad company that he had surrounded himself with had led him down a path to make ruinous decisions. Bad company had indeed corrupted 
is good morals. So we need to be careful with who we surround ourselves with. There is always the balance of reaching out to people that need Jesus and then being wise with the company that we are with. I think it is especially challenging for those that are young in the faith, and it is especially challenging for high school and college students. There is a lot of peer pressure to conform, to go along, to not be that one that says something or objects. So be wise with who you fellowship with. Second, our faith is seen by others. Look at verse 5. It says, For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. So Paul sends Timothy to check and see what's going on, to see how they're doing. Paul knew they had faith. He could see the, the, the fruit of it. And here's the thing for us. Every time, every time that we speak, every time that we act, we're making a statement about what we believe in some way, in some fashion. Every time we speak, every time we act. And listen, it, it might be a loud statement. It might be a soft statement, but we're making a statement. And what are we saying? We're saying, Look, this is what Jesus has done in me. Check it out. This is what Jesus has done in me. So when we're given that, uh, that kind and uplifting and gracious word, we're making a statement. This is what Jesus has done in me. But the inverse is true, too. If, if we're making a harsh and, and, and critical statement, uh, this is what Jesus has done in me. And friends... Our, our, the people that know us, whatever our sphere of influence is, I, I hope that you stick out in some way, in a righteous way. And if, if there was a quiz done, we just randomly picked one of those people in your sphere of influence and says, hey, there's, there's out of those people that you know, we picked you know, one of your coworkers or one of your family, but we said, hey, there's, there's a legit believer that you know just list the five that you think it might be. Friends, I, I hope you'd be in that list. That it'd be so obvious that, oh, well, it's definitely this person, and then and let me think about some others. Why? Because your faith is seen. They've seen it in action. So every time we speak, every time we act, we're making a statement. So we need to be careful with our words. Why? They reflect on Jesus. We need to be careful with our actions. Why? They reflect on Jesus. Listen, a lot of people want to be known for what they've done. I, I want to be known for who I'm with. With Jesus. Third, our faith encourages others. Look at verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, and has brought us the good news of your faith and love, and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. Listen, the great heroes of the faith are great because of what God did in and through them. They had a faith that they put into action. They did great things for God. Friends, it encourages others 
to do great things for God when you do great things for God. Have you ever read a solid Christian autobiography or really just a, a solid Christian biography? And you're reading it and you're like, man, I, I want to serve the Lord. I, I want to be like this person. Like, I want to do that. I want to make a difference. Well, you were encouraged by most likely a person who's no longer living to make a difference for the Lord. So don't, don't underestimate your impact. Your faith encourages others in their faith. And it, sometimes it's easy to compare ourselves to them and, and, and then we think like, oh, well, what, what, what's little old me? You know, Dwight Moody and George Miller and A.W. Tozer and, and, and Charles Spurgeon. Friends, they don't have any greater worth in God's eyes than you do. They don't. They don't have more value in the eyes of the king than you do. And God gives some people what? The five talents, some the three talents, some the one talent. Well, however many you got, you take that talent and you use that for the Lord. Listen, I'm, I'm greatly encouraged by the faith of the members at Liberty. You're persevering. You're striving for godliness. You're putting Jesus first. You're living out your faith. And, and you should look around you and be encouraged by how others are walking out their faith. Fourth, our faith comforts others. We see this in verse 7. He says, For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. Now think about this for a moment. This is the Apostle Paul and this fledgling church and the members of this fledgling church are an encouragement to him. It's a comfort to him. That's what it says. The Apostle Paul, we have been comforted about you through your faith. So others see it. Others see you. <clears throat> and and here's, here's, here's what should happen. They see you. And they think to themselves, you know, they're making it. And, and I can make it too. It's a comfort. Listen, some of you have been through adversity of adversities. And here you are walking strong. And listen, I have the utmost respect for some of you that have weathered some of the nastiest, toughest, ugliest storms of life and yet you have remained faithful to the Lord like my hat's off to you but listen that encourages me greatly to know that I can make it that I can make it that whatever comes whatever the Lord allows I can, I can weather I can weather the storm that I can make it too and, and that's a comfort to me so your faith, it's a comfort to the others in the midst of trials. A person, it, it encourages them that they can persevere through that. And finally, our faith, our faith grows. Look at verse 10. He says, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Notice that, I mean, Paul indicates something is lacking in their faith. 
but he's not all up in their face about it, right? And in one sense, everyone's faith is lacking. I mean, right? Why? Because, I mean, there's still room for us to grow. So he's commending them and commending them, but he's in like, hey, we, we, want, we want it to keep growing. You're lacking a little bit. We want to be there. We want to give you instruction. We want to encourage you. We want to help you. We want to spur you on towards loving good deeds. So he saw they had areas to grow in. Listen, you, it's actually an encouragement to me. I hope it is to you that your faith will always have room to grow. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm like, man, my, my faith is like, man, it's got a long ways to go. But other times I'm like, man, like God's doing this great work in me. I'm trusting him. I'm walking in faith. But guess what? God can grow that even more. Even more. Wherever you're at. So that should encourage us that if you're, if you're really discouraged and you're like, oh, my faith and uh, where am I at? And I'm not, well, I mean, God can grow you. But even those that, that are doing solid and strong right now, God can continue to grow you. Look at 2 Peter 3. The very last verse, this is how Peter wraps up his epistle. He says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in the grace. Grow in the knowledge. Right, so we've got the knowledge aspect. But we also got the, the, the living it out aspect. We can, we can know, man, I've, I've sat under some of the sharpest, sharpest professors. People like, you know, when you went to, to seminary, didn't that like, like puff you up? I'm like, no, because I, I realized real quickly, like some, some people knew like 10 times more than I'd ever know. All right, so it actually was a humbling experience. <clears throat> uh, even at, at, at college with secular professors, uh, they were smart. And intelligent in some ways. Um, knowledge alone does not save, does it? So you, you have to have the knowledge and you want to grow. We, we want to learn about, about what? No, not about what. About who? About who? About God. About how his creation. About his creation. We want to learn about ourselves. And the large difference there is. But we want to grow in our faith as we know the Father more and more, as we grow in our knowledge, in our trust, in our faith, what happens? We become more like Him. So then that fruit of the Spirit becomes more evident in our lives. So grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, friends. I want to I shower the love of Jesus on people. I want to shower the love of Jesus on people. And, and when they're around me, and, and whether it's a big way or small way, it's going to be different each circumstance, but I want them to see Jesus. I want them to see Jesus in me and through me. And I want people that are believers around me, I want them to be encouraged in my presence. I want them to grow in their faith. So I want to shower the love of Jesus. Now, for some of you, that shower, it might just, like, you turn it on, it's like a little trickle. All right? Well, turn that knob 
all right, and get a little more Jesus flowing out. <laughs> let, let the Holy Spirit get a hold of your soul. So given this passage and the impact our faith has on ourselves and others, like, here's my question for us. Like, what are you doing with your faith? How are you handling your faith? Because here's the thing. Like, we're in this together. That is a hard concept for Americans to wrap their minds around. It's a hard concept for American Christians to wrap their mind around because we are so individualist. So much so, we don't even realize it fully. So much so, some of you disagree with that statement. We're, we are such an individualistic society. And, and if you ever go on a mission trip, it just blows your mind some of the things that you said, because it's, it's totally different culture. Because most cultures don't have that mindset. Even the secular cultures. We're, we're very individualistic. That strikes completely against the heart of the gospel. You cannot read the New Testament and think, oh, it's just, it's just me and Jesus. You, you can't. It's a collective. There's one body. There's one body. One body. So we're in this together. You know, Ephesians 4, one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. So think about it, friends. Paul is addressing the Thessalonians. That's who he's addressing. Now, there are some, some letters addressed to specific individuals, but the vast majority are addressed to what? Churches or groups of churches. We're in this together. It's not you by yourself. It's not me by myself. It's, it's us together. Friends, each of us hopefully can say, like, I, I need you. For my walk with the Lord, I need you. I need you a part of my life. I need you encouraging me. I need you exhorting me, even correcting me, even rebuking me. But I need you. And you should be able to say the same. I, I need you. To the people, to your brothers and sisters. We need each other. Your faith, listen, your faith impacts me. It impacts those around you. In your practice of faith, it impacts me, and it impacts those around you. Why? Because it's one body. Because we're in this together. Because there's the unity that we have as believers. So as God is doing a work in us, as, as we're seeing evidence of it in other people, as, as hopefully we're seeing evidence of it in ourselves, like, let, let's make sure that, that we get rid of any of that individualistic thinking. And we focus on making sure that the body of Christ is healthy. Like God has, has been gracious to adopt you into his kingdom. Think about that for a moment. Just think about that. There are many kids right now that are in different countries, even in this country, waiting to be adopted. And some of them probably greatly want to be adopted. But guess what? They need someone to adopt them. 
And God was gracious to adopt you into his family. I mean, what greater love? I mean, he, he calls us servants, <clears throat> calls us slaves, he calls us friends. But, but what greater title could we have than that of child? Because then, I don't know about how y'all, I know not everyone has kids here, but many of you do. <clears throat> I mean, my, my kids have access to me in a way that other kids don't. And I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bend over backwards for them in a way that I won't for others. My kids are probably like thinking, okay, he said he'd bend over backwards. <clears throat> but seriously, and you all know that's true. And even if you don't have kids, just relate to your own parents the things that they were willing to do for you. We will go to extreme lengths for our children. Sometimes to the borders of foolishness and crazy. Because we love them so much. How much more God the Father with you. Well, he went to extreme lengths, didn't he? His own son sacrificed for you. Why? So you could be adopted into his family. It's a beautiful thing. Don't take it for granted. God has been gracious to each one of us here. What The work that he has done through us and in us. Let us continue to grow in our faith. Let us continue to persevere. Let us continue to build up the body for God's glory. Let's pray. Father, we are blessed beyond measure to be adopted into your family, to be called a child of the king. We don't have to go through any formalities to get access to the king. Because we're his children. So thank you, Lord, for the access that we have to you as your children. We can come to you at any time. We can seek you. We can pray to you. We can commune. We can fellowship with you. simply because we're your children. Thank you for transferring us from the domain of darkness. It was dark and we didn't even know it, Lord. And thank you for sending your son Jesus for us, for redeeming us, for calling a people for your own. You are truly great. We love you, Lord.